0: So we, we are reading Deuteronomy 16 from verse 1 to 17. Observe the month of Adib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God because in the month of Adib he brought you out of Egypt by night, Sacrifice as a Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place of the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it in the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day Hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your manservants and maid servants. The Levites in your towns and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your feast. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man shall appear before the Lord empty handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way your Lord God has blessed you. That's the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much Maria for reading uh, that passage of scripture. We're going to uh, give our thoughts to it now. Let's again just pause briefly in prayer as we uh, come to this text. Father, we do thank you for this passage in the Old Testament, and we thank you that the Old Testament points forward so clearly to the new and to all that we have in the Lord Jesus. We pray that we might see that today and that we might see the Gospel in a fresh and wonderful way from this Old Testament text. Uh, This will only happen, Lord, if you are at work in our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray for the work of your spirit amongst us now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you have memories of great family holidays. Maybe their kids can think back even just to last summer. The the routine of packing the car to the gunnels, just stuffing so much stuff in it, heading off down the road on a seemingly endless journey. Uh, Just... You know, half an hour down the road, the kids are already asking, are we nearly there? And no, you are not nearly there. And you sing songs, and you play games, and you get grumpy with each other, and you eat Maccas, and eventually you get to your destination. And there you uh, find that camping ground and you pitch your tent and maybe you're meeting with family or friends there. And it's just such a good feeling to be there and to be back in that place where you have had many a wonderful family holiday together. Now if you can picture that scene, then in many ways you can picture the dynamics of Deuteronomy chapter 16 and what's been described in this passage. But this is not about holidays, it's about holy days. And not just a family holy day, but a national one. When when God's people, the nation of Israel, would go on a holy day together. And not just once a year, but three times a year. Three holidays a year always at the same place. In this chapter it's described as as the place of God's choosing, which would be Jerusalem. You see God's people, the people of Israel, are at this point uh, on the edge of the promised land, about to enter into the land that God had promised to them hundreds of years earlier to their forefather Abraham. And now as they are about to enter that land, God establishes some of the rhythms and patterns of life that he wants them to have in the promised land. Vast numbers of people would converge from all over the country on Jerusalem. Uh, They would sing songs as they travelled there, the songs of ascent. If you look in the book of Psalms, from Psalm 120 to 134, you have songs that they sang as they made their way Uh, up to Jerusalem. Once there, Jerusalem would have buzzed with people. And these three uh, holy days, feast days, celebrations were like a cross between a family reunion, a national convention, uh, a music festival, and a feast. They were amazing gatherings of God's people. The Lord prescribed these three days for his people, and each of them were loaded with meaning. Uh, Just as God had prescribed that there would be a weekly Sabbath where they would stop their work and worship the Lord, so now he prescribes that three times a year they will stop everything else. And they'll travel to this National Convention Centre. And there, they'll reflect. And they'll remember. And they'll feast. They'll rejoice. They'll celebrate together. God was working into their national life rhythms of work and rest. Rhythms where they would stop and rejoice and reflect on all that God had done for them. And I think that, in itself, is worth us thinking about for a moment. Many of us are not good at stopping, let alone stopping to remember who God is and what he has done for us. News is on a 24-7 cycle. Work is available to us 24-7. There's constant social media, sports, activities, busyness in our lives. But we were not made for that. We were made for work and rest. For going hard and then stopping. We we were made for rhythms of life. And the rhythms of life must include... Times of worship, times of reflection, times of rejoicing in what God has done. We, We need holy days, not just holidays. That's good for our mental health, it's good for our physical health, but most of all it's good for our spiritual health. The the three annual feast days, holy days, that God instituted as essential for his Old Testament people have a lot to teach us about rhythms of life now. These holy days don't actually continue for Christians. They've been changed, as we'll see, by the coming of Jesus. But actually what has happened is the gospel has superseded what they were rejoicing in and what they were celebrating. The the change is really quite thrilling because there are new gospel realities that call for rhythms in our lives, not three annual holy days in Jerusalem, but rhythms of regularly reflecting and rejoicing and remembering all that the Lord has done. So let me introduce you to these three feast days in the Old Testament, and with that, to three rhythms of life. The first is this. Regularly remember the rescue. That's the first rhythm of Israel's national life. Regularly remember the rescue. Uh, At the heart of the first holy day of the Israelites' year, at the heart of that was roast lamb. (laughs) I love roast lamb. But this was, was really quite unique, roast lamb. Their year began, the first month of their year, uh, it began with the Feast of Passover. And Passover celebrated and remembered their dramatic rescue from Egypt, where they had been in slavery for 400 years. When Moses preached this message, the message of Deuteronomy, uh, it was just 40 years after that dramatic rescue. Passover recalled the way in which God had acted to rescue them and redeem them from Egypt and from slavery. Uh, God had sent terrible plagues upon the Egyptians to soften Pharaoh's heart in order that he would let his people go. And the last and most awful of the plagues was the plague of the death of the firstborn. In in every Egyptian household, the firstborn child would die. And the firstborn of all the livestock would die. But God had told his people that they were to sacrifice a lamb as a substitute for the firstborn in every household. Every household would sacrifice a lamb. They would smear some of the blood of that lamb over the door frames of their house. They'd roast the lamb and eat it in haste. And then when God came bringing death to every household, he would pass over those houses where the lamb's blood had been smeared on the door frame. Death would pass over them. And so that night, there was untold grief in Egypt. And Pharaoh demanded that they get out, go, leave. They left Egypt. They left slavery. They left 400 years of captivity. They left in haste, grabbing their bread dough before it had been leavened. And so they take with them their unleavened bread. And the Lord then instituted the ceremony as a perpetual, an annual reminder of that dramatic rescue. Each year now, they would have to go to Jerusalem. They would sacrifice a lamb. They would roast it. They would eat unleavened bread. And it's called in Deuteronomy 16, verse Three, the bread of affliction. The bread of affliction, it was to remind them of all those years of affliction and slavery in Egypt. And they would then gather together and remember that God had rescued them in that powerful way. You know that some things must never be forgotten. Now, I don't just mean birthdays and anniversaries and appointments. Like it's, not, it's not good to forget those things, but you can get away with it. There are some things you must never forget. You can forget your birthday, but never forget the mother who gave birth to you. You can immigrate to another country but never forget your homeland. You can be widowed and life can move on but never forget your husband or your wife. You can lose on the shores of Gallipoli But never forget the thousands who sacrificed their lives there. Israel could enter the Promised Land, but they must never forget that they were slaves in Egypt and God had rescued them. And you know, that is true for us as Christians as well. We no longer celebrate the Passover. And the reason for that is it has been superseded by an even greater rescue that we must never forget. God provided another Passover lamb to deliver us from a worse slavery and a worse death. The gospel is the message that Jesus' blood has been shed, poured out, so that as our substitute, as the one who died in our place, death and condemnation might pass over us. His blood frees us from our bondage to sin, from guilt, from the... The the wreck that sin brings into our lives. Death and condemnation has passed over us. In the New Testament, there are some powerful parallels drawn. The New Testament likens sin to leaven. Uh, Leaven spreads through the whole batch of dough. And sin is like that. It spreads and contaminates everything. And it likens Jesus to that Passover lamb. Let me take you for a moment to um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And we read this. This is Paul writing. And you must remember that the church in Corinth is a church where sin is running rampant. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Verse 6, Paul writes, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin spreads right through the church and through your lives, he's saying. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And then get this, he says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us celebrate the festival. Not the Old Testament festival of Passover. No, let us celebrate the festival, the the great rescue that we have through Jesus Christ, which gets rid of the, the leaven of sin in our lives as death and condemnation pass over us because of the work of Jesus. A little bit further on in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds the church of the words of the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And you'll remember that Jesus was celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. And during that Passover celebration, he took one of the cups of that festival and he lifted it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. In remembrance of me. There, friends, is an essential rhythm of Christian life. Regularly remembering the death of Jesus, our Passover lamb. The Lord's Supper is an ongoing reminder of his death. And if we had been meeting together this morning, we would have celebrated the Lord's Supper together. We do that regularly on the first uh, week of of the month. We, We can't do that physically while we're apart, but we can remember the death of our Lord Jesus. We were rescued from death and slavery by him. You know, sin really is the bread of affliction. Pharaoh was a cruel taskmaster, but sin is far worse. Think of how sin uh, leads to, to a guilt sometimes that just eats away our soul. Or think of how sin gets a grip on us and does literally enslave us and it can be so hard to break a sinful habit or pattern. Or think of how sin can shatter and harm a good relationship. Sin wrecks, it ruins, it enslaves. But Christ's blood was shed to set us free from that. Of course, as Christians, saved by the blood of Jesus, we still struggle with sin. But John Newton, the the writer of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, put this so well when he said this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. I'm I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I will be. But by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. God's grace has rescued us. God's grace has freed us from the condemnation of sin and from the slavery and mastery of sin. And now we're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so uh, it says back in Deuteronomy uh, 16 verse 8 that they were to have a solemn assembly to the Lord. That is, you were to come together as a people and earnestly and reverently worship and praise God for the rescue and that needs to be a regular rhythm of our lives week by week as we gather as a church for worship as we partake of the Lord's Supper when we're able to as we daily live lives of gratitude because we remember I'm not what I used to be. That was the first rhythm of life for God's Old Testament people. Remember the rescue. The second rhythm was to regularly rejoice in the harvest. Regularly rejoice in the harvest. You'll see in verse 9 that they were now to count off seven weeks. Seven weeks after Passover. And so this became known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Counting Off Seven Weeks. Seven weeks is 49 days, and so the day after seven weeks was the 50th day, which is why this feast is also known as the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of the 50th Day. Now, we've got to remember that uh, Israel was an agricultural nation, and the rhythms of worship followed the rhythms of the land passover was uh, during springtime and it included offering the first sheaf of the grain harvest pentecost the feast of weeks was in early summer and they now brought the first fruits of the wheat harvest they bring the first pickings of the crop to the lord who had given them That harvest. This was a joyful celebration of God's grace, the grace of God in giving them another harvest. And so it says in verse eleven, "You shall rejoice before the Lord your God." And it included everyone. It goes on to talk about how their men and women, their sons and their daughters, servants, Levites, foreigners, widows, orphans. The entire community is to come together to give thanks. And they're to bring a free will offering. Now there are other Old Testament texts that prescribe certain offerings for this festival. But but at the heart of it is a free will gift. A sense that the Lord has given us this harvest. The Lord has been kind to us. And out of that, here Lord, we give this back to you. Now most of us don't live on the land. But we know the stories of those who do we know something of the agony of drought and fire and flood for those who live on the land to this day good rains and a good harvest is the blessing of God and we ought to thank the Lord for our daily provisions the lord taught us that in in his prayer didn't he give us this day our daily bread many of us have the habit of stopping and praying before a meal the bible doesn't prescribe that as a must but it's a good practice to acknowledge that what we have is the kind provision of god when i was a kid uh, growing up in the uh, church i was in Uh, We used to have an annual harvest festival service. And uh, it was back in the day when most people had veggie gardens. And what would happen is everyone in the church would bring along produce from their veggie garden. And up the front of the church, there'd be pumpkins and cabbages and bottles of pickles and corn and all sorts of stuff. And if people didn't have a veggie garden, they'd buy things and bring it along. And the front of the church was plastered with fruit and veggies and produce and we would give thanks to god for his provisions for us and then all that food would be given away to people in need it's kind of lovely and not a bad idea but that is not where the new testament goes with the feast of weeks the feast of pentecost there's a different sequel in the new testament In Acts chapter 2, we read that it was on the day of Pentecost when again there were Jews from all the nations around gathered there, Jerusalem buzzing. That was the day that God chose to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people with great power and he began a new harvest. Peter stood up and preached the gospel. 3,000 people were converted. That's a... That is a powerful sermon. And a great gospel harvest began. The Lord convicted the hearts of 3,000 Jews there in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost that Jesus, whom they had crucified 50 days earlier, was in fact the Messiah, their rescuer, their Redeemer. Well, that was the start of a harvest that we are to rejoice in to this day. It's not enough for us to be thankful for our physical prosperity, our fruit and veggies. We must also be deeply thankful for the greater harvest, the work of the gospel in many people's lives. Men and women and children being saved, their lives being transformed, communities being transformed by the power of the gospel. And one of the best ways to rejoice in the gospel harvest is exactly the same as for these Old Testament people, to bring the first fruits of our labour as a gift. Back to the Lord, to bring free will offerings to support the ongoing work of the gospel harvest. We need rhythms of regularly giving back to the work of the Lord. As we rejoice in the gospel, as we see how good it is that God is saving and transforming people's lives. We need the rhythms of celebrating that and of giving back to gospel work. It's actually one of the best investments you can make with your money. The stock market is all over the place. We uh, we often watch um, ABC News and about three quarters of the way through that, Alan Kohler uh, gets up and gives the financial report and he has all his graphs of where the... Uh, where the financial markets are going. And mostly it's a mess. But if you invest into the work of the gospel, you make a rock solid investment. A harvest began on the day of Pentecost that is continuing to this day. God is gathering into the eternal church of Jesus Christ, all those he's chosen since the creation of the world, Millions and millions of people. And we are to rejoice in the gospel harvest and we are to invest into it with our free will offerings. Not under compulsion but under gladness and a sense of the goodness of what God is doing in this world. So that was the second rhythm that are regularly rejoice in the rescue and they are uh, to remember the rescue and to rejoice in the harvest. And then the third rhythm, the third annual feast day or holy day of the Old Testament year leads us to regularly reflect on the riches. Reflect on the riches. The third annual holiday was literally a camping holiday. Uh, It's called Uh, The Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and a booth or a tabernacle is simply a tent, a shelter. For seven days, they would camp out in Jerusalem. And those tents would recall the years in which they camped and tented in the wilderness. They were now in the Promised Land, but they were to never... Forget all those years of camping in the wilderness. They were to be deeply thankful that the Lord had now brought them into a permanent home. This came at the end of their agricultural year. It's right at the end of summer. the 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 grain, the wheat, the grapes have all been harvested, not just harvested but processed and stored. Uh, everything is finished for the year. And now they're to kick back, relax, and enjoy. Now what do you think of when you think about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying? Maybe, maybe going on a holiday. Maybe going out to your favorite restaurant. Maybe going to a party or hanging out with friends. Uh, for Wendy and I, it's often lighting the fire and uh, cracking open a block of chocolate and just relaxing there. It's a wonderful way to kick back, relax, and enjoy. But here's, here's an idea. To kick back, relax and enjoy, go to church. (laughs) Go and meet with God's people. Go and sing together. Go and hear again the stories of God's goodness and grace. Go and have fellowship together. Go and enjoy time together. That's what the Lord is commanding his people to do. He commands them, actually, to enjoy themselves in the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 14. You shall rejoice in your feast. It's a feast. And they're to rejoice in it because the Lord has been good to them. Again, everyone is there. Uh, they, They travel together. They camp together. They sing together. They worship together. Because they're not just blessed individuals. They're a blessed people. Now we read of this feast in the New Testament as well. In John chapter 7, we're told that uh, uh, the brothers of Jesus went up to the Feast of Booths, but Jesus stayed behind. Then we're told in verse 14 of John 7, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And then further through in John 7, we're told in verse 37 on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is a wonderful sequel. The original feast celebrated God's, God's riches to them throughout the whole year. But now there is a greater provision. Not just wheat, barley, wine, but living Water. Jesus is is saying, if you come to me, I won't just provide you with food that you have to go out and get again next week and crops that you have to plant again next year. I will give you living water, water that will quench your spiritual thirst. He says, I'll give you of my spirit to live in you. And notice it's not just that we drink from living water, but streams of living water, it says, will flow from us. When I think of streams of living water, I often think back to uh, mountain streams in New Zealand. You spend a lot of time in the high country in the Alps in New Zealand, and and right up in remote, high, barren, arid places, there are these beautiful little uh, streams. They they bubble. They're, they're ice cold, um, fed by snow melt. They're fresh. They're clear as crystal, and they're always there. Um, they're, they're constantly fed. And what a beautiful picture that is of the life that flows out of those who know Jesus, those in whom the Spirit of Christ lives. Joy, peace, hope bubbling out of us because of the work of Christ. Here are riches to reflect on. The riches of God's provisions for us, not just physically, but most of all, spiritually. His Spirit giving us all that we need for life and godliness. We really are just camping in this world. But while we camp here, God supplies us with everything that we need. So, friends, here are the three rhythms of life for Old Testament Israel. And they all have wonderful gospel sequences. Remember the rescue, the gospel rescue. Rejoice in the harvest, the gospel harvest. And reflect on the riches, the gospel riches that we have in Christ. These are no longer annual festivals, but now daily and weekly patterns of gratitude in the lives of God's people. Friends, don't just work, work, work. And don't just play, play, play. Regularly stop and reflect I love holidays um, when I'm stressed and uh, a bit burnt out I plan holidays even if I can't go on a holiday I just love planning them actually if the uh, the dreaded virus hadn't come along Wendy and I were meant to be in Switzerland today I, I love the idea of a holiday like that but whilst I love holidays I need holy days. You and I need those times when we stop regularly to rejoice in what the Lord has done, to remember that we are not what we once used to be, to ponder what real wealth, what real riches are. How are the rhythms of your life? Do you stop enough to think about what God has done? To remember what you would have been if Jesus hadn't rescued you? Do you pause enough to gather with God's people every week? Do you have enough space in your life to reflect on the riches that you have in Christ? Do you have rhythms and patterns of giving generously and of rejoicing in all that God has done? The Lord who's rescued us, the Lord who provides for us, the Lord who's reaping a great gospel harvest and has poured out his Spirit into our hearts, wants us to lay down our tools, turn off our computers. Sign out of social media and remember what a great God he is. Let's pray together. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are a rescuing, providing, caring, loving God who has given us every uh, wealth, all riches in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the great gospel harvest that is taking place in our world. Help us to be men and women and children who stop often to remember these things and to rejoice in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this for the sake of Jesus our Saviour. Amen.